Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18, we continue our study through the Old Testament. And here we have here in chapter 18, verse 1, the book of Deuteronomy, Moses says to the people, he says, The priests, the Levites, all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. Now, at the onset, we read that and it seems like, whoa, this is kind of harsh. But at the same time, we have to remember our prior studies through Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers. We have to remember these prior studies because remember, there is a, a, a difference between the Kohanim and the Levites and Israel. You see a special consecration for these uh, uh, for the priesthood. Uh, remember when we studied uh, uh, Leviticus and reference in Numbers two, the Abodah Abodah Mishkan. There's a special consecration for these servants, and remember they serve the Lord, the priesthood. It's service unto the Lord. Not to say that Israel does not serve the Lord. You know, in the camp of Israel, there is service unto the Lord, but it's different with the priesthood. And the purpose for the priesthood is so that the people can be right with the Lord. You see? And so we look at verse 1 and we like, wow, you know, there's no no inheritance, no no part. He says, it's still in verse 1, he says, they, sh- they shall eat of the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his portion. You see, you remember when we look at our prior studies in Leviticus, and if you're listening for the first time and you haven't listened, make sure you listen to our studies through the book of Leviticus and Numbers because you'll understand these deep things of the Torah much more. And with the depth, understanding that it points to Jesus Christ. Now, remember the people, Israel, they make their offerings to the Lord. You see, and that's, there's multiple transactions here. And I say transactions, I don't like using that word. I just don't know how else to explain it. There's multiple transactions where you have, uh, you know, like if, if you were to purchase something from a, a store, uh, say you were to buy, uh, I don't know, a new shirt and you go to the store, you buy a new shirt. Well, you, that's one transaction where the one transaction, meaning you're at the register, you buy the new shirt and boom, the transaction. Now, what happens within the business? There's multiple transactions. The employer has to pay overhead, has to pay, pay, has to make payroll, has to pay, you know, vendors, has to pay for, you know, utilities, all kinds of different things. So there's multiple transactions, but, you know, you know, I, I don't want to turn this into like a, you know, a, a business dissertation, but there's multiple transactions which emanate from your single one transaction. Now that's multiplied by customers, but you know, j- just to give you an example of transactions. Now, the exact same thing happens with uh, uh, offerings unto the Lord. The people multiple offerings unto the Lord in accordance with the law. But it, it, what what the Lord says is uh, that that He desires in offerings. Now, remember, it's a matter of the heart. It's not just you know I'm going to give an offering and and and, and I, I give an offering and I meet my quota, so to speak. That doesn't work that way. And that's what happens in Israel. And you see, the Lord calls these uh, uh, prophets and He says, "Okay, Isaiah, tell them that you know I don't I, I don't I don't like the offerings anymore." It's, it's, it's pointless for them to make these offerings anymore. Does, did the Lord change his mind? No, the people changed their heart. But in the camp of Israel, you see these multiple, I say transactions, just so that we can understand these different levels of uh, 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 transactions with the Lord. So the people, they make their offerings to the Lord, 
Person number one, that's transaction number one. Person number two, that's transaction number two. Person number three might make several contrib- or, or several uh, offerings unto the Lord or sacrifices unto the Lord. And you say you have like three transactions from one person. And so you see these multiple transactions and that's one transaction, a person unto the Lord. You see their sacrifice, their offering unto the Lord. Now, once that takes place, just like in a business, you know, you buy the new shirt, there's the first transaction, but then, you know, and multiplied by several customers. And, you know, with the, with those transactions, there are, you know, like the, uh, uh, profits, but the profits are less the expenses, such as utilities, you know, various overhead, all kinds of different expenses, payroll, salaries, all kinds of different things. Now, when we understand this, the same thing applies in the Old Testament and New Testament with the Lord. So the people make their sacrifices unto the Lord, which is beautiful. And the Lord sees that, except remember, he doesn't see, he sees the transaction, but he sees the heart. Why is a person making sacrifices? Why is a person, you know, yes, there's uh, maybe uncleanness in a home and uncleanness in a tent. And then you see a person making sacrifices and the Lord sees the heart. He sees the transaction, but he sees much deeper than the human eye. He sees the heart, a desire for a person to be right before the Lord. And he sees inside the hearts of the people in the home. Say, for example, you're a, 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 a dad in a family. And then all of a sudden your son has committed an egregious sin. Now, there's discipline unto the son, and then the son feels in his heart, oh my goodness, not only have I uh, dis- brought dishonor to my home, I have dishonored the Lord. Oh my goodness, I'm going to repent. And so there's a, a, a sacrifice, an offering, but then at the same time, the, the head of the home going to the priesthood and explaining, you know, this is the sacrifice and offering that we're making because there's uncleanness in my home. And the Lord sees these things. Human eyes see the transaction. Okay, here's an animal and it's going to be sacrificed. But the Lord sees, yes, there's the blood to atone for the sin. But then the Lord sees, wow, the, this kid in this home, he sinned, he sinned, but he's repented before the Lord. And the Lord sees the heart. He sees the repentance. And then the Lord sees, you know, the uh, the sorrow in in like the mom. You know, she he sees the sorrow in the mom. Like, oh my goodness! Now you see the 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 urging of the mom to to, to uh, and dad to teach their kids, you know, wisely and, and understanding, you know, learning from mistakes oftentimes. And so the dad goes to the priest and says, hey, priest, you know, we have to make this sacrifice and offering because I want my house to be clean. I want my home to be clean. And so. That's a beautiful, beautiful transaction. And that's for that particular tent. And remember, the Lord sees the heart. Now, what would it, 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 the Lord also sees in another tent the exact same thing with human eyes, except they're just going through the motions. You know, the son committed an egregious sin. Okay, you know, here's, you know, yeah, I'm sorry, dad. I shouldn't have done this. I'm sorry, dad. No big deal. And then all of a sudden the dad says, hey, priest, you know, you know, we got this situation and, you know, here's the lamb. Here, here, here's my sheep, you know, or I'm a rich guy. So here's my ox, you know. OK, priest, here you go. Go back. And there's no change of heart. They're just going through the motions where there was an egregious sin and the egregious sin keeps happening. You see, they're just going through the motions. Now, with human eyes, you say, oh, wow, it's the exact same thing with in two homes, in two tents. It's the exact same thing. But the Lord, he sees 
It's not the same thing. You see? It's not the same thing because the Lord sees the heart. He tests the mind. He sees the motives. And because in one home is, you know, they're just going through the motions. Now you don't see blessings on that home. You don't see blessings on that tent. It's just the opposite. You see curses on that tent because the Lord sees they're just going through the motions. And I can't bless them when they're just going through the motions. So now it's going to get, you know, the uh, this chastising, it's going to get heavier and heavier and heavier. Remember, the Lord responds to disobedience. He also responds to obedience. But then in the other home where he sees the hearts, and he sees the mind and the motives, and he sees that it is beautiful in his eyes, a sweet aroma unto him. All of a sudden, it's not like the other tent towards curses. It's a different, completely different tent. And you see the blessings of the Lord. You see the joy of the Lord. You see the fullness of joy. You see blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Now, for the other home, where they're just going through the motions, now because they don't see the blessings, what do they say? Well, you know, maybe God is fake. I know we have our religion, but maybe God is fake because look, his word says that there's blessing upon blessing, but I don't get the blessing. I don't see the blessing. So therefore, God is fake. Let's just reserve God for not just the history books. Let's just reserve him for the fairy tales. And that's what happens in the camp of Israel. And it's what happens in the camp of the church today. Remember, the formula must be right. And so we did a, a, a little a brief look on these uh, transactions, but it's much deeper because the Lord sees the heart and the mind. You see, like, you know, look at the entirety or the majority, vast majority of Israel, the state of Israel for, for the Lord to call upon Isaiah and say, Isaiah, tell the people that the sacrifices, it's pointless. Now for the vast majority, the sacrifices were pointless, but in Isaiah's tent, the sacrifices were beautiful. You see, because you can look at Isaiah's tent and you can look at another tent and be like, wow, you know, they're doing the exact same thing with carnal eyes. They're doing the exact same thing. They go to synagogue, they go to temple, they do got the animals, they're doing this and they, they say this, they recite this and they pray like this, but it's different. Why? Because of the heart, what the Lord sees. It is not the same. For Isaiah's sacrifices, it was beautiful before the Lord. For the majority sacrifices, ugly before the Lord, stinky before the Lord, stenchy before the Lord. You see? But it's the same thing in the church. Oh, I'm going to go put up my Sunday best and go to church and, you know, look, I got to sit here for an hour and I'm good to go. I did my, I did my deed. I'm good to go. And you can see a whole bunch of people going to church, a whole bunch of people opening their Bibles, a whole bunch of people worshiping, a whole bunch of people praying. And with carnal eyes, it looks like, wow, this is beautiful. Look, it's church, God's people. But who is really God's people? You see? When the Lord knows, he sees the heart. Consecration. Consecration in the heart. It's powerful. Old Testament, New Testament, we see these, you know, these examples of the whole and the example of the remnant and the example of the leaven. All throughout the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, we see it. Now, 
the offerings given to the Lord, made unto the Lord. Now, that's one transaction. Tent number one, they give to the Lord. Tent number two, they give to the Lord. Tent number 10,000, they give to the Lord. Now, that's, let's put aside that transaction. I say put it aside, but you know, that's pretty loaded because we just had a little brief discussion on what that looks like. Now, now comes another transaction. Now that those animals, now that those sacrifices were made unto the Lord, now you have another transaction with the priests. You see, with the priesthood. Now in these transactions, these completely separate from the people, the animals, the, the people supplied the animals. They offered the animals. I shouldn't say supplied. They offered the animals. They're offering unto the Lord. Now, there are provisions in the law for the priesthood to eat from these sacrifices. You see, it's not the priest saying, oh, you know what? I think I want ribeye steak tonight. So you, you sacrifice unto me. And we're going to see that in the camp of Israel. That's not the formula. That's not good. That's how we see the Lord calling Isaiah. Isaiah, tell my people that the sacrifices are pointless. That's how we see it happen. Because the priests just think, well, you know, I think I want ribeye steak tonight. I think I want to eat some ribeye. I think I want some, you know, some uh, uh, tenderloins. I think I want, you know, so uh, you, you sacrifice this. And that, that's what we see. That's more an offering given to the priest. No, the offerings are given to the Lord in one transaction. Anybody who comes and tries to alter that transaction, you know what we see happen to them? They die. You see? I mean, they, they're, they, you see the, it's not just immediate death. I mean, sometimes it is, but we see the moving towards, uh, death because it's not the right formula and the Lord responds to disobedience. But in responding to disobedience, there's also room for grace and mercy. You see? And God never changes. Now, in this separate transaction with the priesthood, the priesthood is cared for by the Lord, but using these offerings made unto the Lord, not to the priests, the offerings made unto the Lord. You see, it's a different transaction. So we look at verse one and we're like, wow, that, what do you mean? I thought the priests were like good people. I thought they were to help the people. And now there's no part or inheritance with Israel. You see, they're, they're a separate people. Their provision is from the Lord. But what the Lord gives them is from the offerings that the people give them. You see? It's powerful. It's beautiful. It's powerful. It's holy. It's not, it's not, you know, it's holy. The law is still holy, but it's the lesser glory. The greater glory is in the fulfillment of the law, Jesus Christ. But we have to understand these transactions. Because now look what happens here in verse uh, 2. Therefore, they shall have, speaking of the priesthood, they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. Now, you hear us say like this is powerful and it is powerful. In one sense, it's powerful because of, you know, the, the cleansing. It's beautiful because the people are cleansed before the Lord. There's their right before the Lord. But it's powerful in another regard because if the people, if the camp of Israel, if they begin to forget God, if they begin to uh, not believe in God, you know who will be very quickly impacted? The priests. You see? 
the priest will be very quickly impacted through starvation. Starvation tends to get attention. You see, I mean, in times of plenty, it's, I don't want to say it's easy to forget the Lord, but in times of plenty, it happens where the Lord becomes forgotten. But in times of famine, you know, people pray to the Lord and you see it in the camp of Israel, but the formula must be right. Make sure that prayer is done unto the right God, not a God that has been conjured up in the mind. You see, now you see this poverty, not now, but we're going to see it in the camp of Israel, poverty stricken. They're in a destitute state, but it's a result of disobedience unto the Lord. You see, now the priests, they should be the very first ones to feel it. They should be the very first ones to feel something's wrong here because, hey, we're starving. Look, my family, each one of us has lost 50 pounds. We're starving. What is happening here? You know, the people have forgotten God. What is happening here? You see, and so the priests, you know, they're the ones that are most directly impacted. Well, I shouldn't say most, but first impacted. You see, and it's beautiful because when, when when the Lord is remembered in the camp, that means the priests are doing their jobs, you see, but bad doctrine is very dangerous. And we're going to see that in the camp of Israel because all of a sudden the priests start teaching, well, you know, you make these off. I feel like eating ribeye tonight. So make your offerings and then they can eat their ribeye. You see, but it doesn't work that way. All of a sudden, the priests become God. That's not a good situation. We see it in the in the New Testament with the Gospels, where the priests are, they start being the ones to call the shots. But when we look at the, the law and we study these things, the priests are never in a situation to call the shots. You see, unless it's, unless it's commanded of the Lord, where the Lord says, hey, tell my people this, then, you know, they might think you're calling the shots, but... You're really just relaying a message that I told you to, to tell them. You see, we see that in the, in the prophets. And so when we look at verse one and two, we think like, wow, this is hardcore. What happened to the priest? Does the Lord not like the priest? No, he absolutely loves the priest. But the priests, the priests, remember the closeness, the proximity of, of the Lord to the people is, is one thing. But the proximity of the Lord uh, to the priest is a completely different ballgame in the Lord. I mean, you know, in the in the Old Testament, because we see, remember, Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan, servants in servants in the uh, 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 bond servants in the uh, shepherd's house, Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan, and listen to our study through Leviticus, because you'll understand this hardcore, and it's beautiful when you understand this, especially as new covenant believers. Because now you see the depth of the relationship that the Lord wants with you. You see? Bond servants in the shepherd's house. And then we see this. In verse 2, Therefore they shall have no inheritance among the brethren. The Lord is their inheritance as he said to them. You see, you know, you see the Lord is their inheritance. You're like, wow, this is beautiful. The Lord is their inheritance. Absolutely, it's beautiful. As he said to them, this is nothing new. He told them already. The people should know this, but they forget. But they forget. And that's what's so powerful because you see all these godly people, godly men, 
And they always tell the, 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 the people of the camp of Israel, remember, 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 don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. And they forget. But now you see the mercy and grace of our Lord because he says, hey, Isaiah, I want you to say this. Uh, Hosea, Ezekiel, uh, Jeremiah, you know, I have a task for you. Amos, I have a task for you. You see? And it's powerful. It's beautiful. But yet we make this distinction between the camp, the majority of the camp, the people, and then the priesthood, bond servants in the shepherd's house. Abodah, abodah, mishkan. You see? And so we see here in verse 3, And this shall be the priest due from the people, from those who offer sacrifice. You see, so it's they offer sacrifice, that's a transaction. But then there's a separate transaction. Once that's done, the people go to their tent and the, the sacrifice is done, the offerings are done, and then yes, it's to the Lord. And that, those are, that's one transaction. And now all of a sudden, the people are back in their tent. Now, okay, priests, how, how does the Lord deal with the priests? When we see in verse 2, the Lord is their inheritance. You see? The Lord is their inheritance. And, you know, feast or famine is directly proportional to their obedience unto the Lord, the priest's obedience unto the Lord. And when you don't see the priest obedient to the Lord, it trickles down to the camp where now there's curses upon the camp. You see? Why? Because the formula is wrong. Just like we see as New Covenant believers. When the formula is wrong, you can't expect the blessings of the Lord. You can see manipulation where people think they're blessed of the Lord. You see the manipulation where like a pastor will say, Hey, you know, everybody write a check for a hundred bucks. Everybody write a check for a thousand dollars. And then you see them, you know, with their private jets and their mansions and multiple mansions, multiple, you know, luxury cars, multiple boats and their yachts. And you, you think they, they start to say, wow, look, I'm blessed of the Lord. And the people start thinking, wow, they're really blessed of the Lord. But really what they're doing is they're bilking. They're, 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 they're hirelings. You see? He said, but wait, I can see it with my eyes. Look, he's got a mansion. He's got his cars. He's got his, you know, private jet. He's got his yacht. He's got all these things and a house over here and a house over there and multiple locations over here. And these are mansions. Look, he's blessed of the Lord because the Bible says here that, you know, when you're obedient to the Lord, you have blessings of the Lord and from the Lord. And so a carnal people might think that, wow, look, he's blessed of the Lord. A carnal people might think, look, she's blessed of the Lord. Look, she's a pastor. She's blessed of the Lord. She's got her private jets. But that's the wrong formula. And then you have these false teachers and false prophets and of today, false pastors who are hirelings, quite possibly even wolves. And that's what they do. They fleece the flock. And the flock thinks, wow, my pastor is so godly. Look, my female pastor, she's so godly. But the formula must be right. You see, the formula must be right. That's in the church. But it's the same in the Old Testament. When the formula is wrong, when the formula is wrong, you see the, the priests, the Kohanim, the Levites, they hate John the Baptist. They hate Jesus. They hate because they, they hate Peter. They hate Paul. Why? Because the formula is not right. You see? 
And so we see this in verse 3. And this shall be the priest due from the people, from those who offer a sacrifice, whether it be, whether it is a bull or a sheep, they shall give to the priest the shoulder, the cheeks, and the stomach. The first fruits of your grain and the new wine and your oil and the first of the fleece of your sheep, you shall give him. You see, the priesthood is very, very special with special duties and special tasks. They are a holy people, the priesthood. And it's not just like, wow, you know, look, I'm in the camp of Israel and look, these priests, look, they're holy and I got to worship them. No, no, we worship the Lord. You see, we worship the Lord. And it's so powerful. We will understand that these holy people with holy tasks And it's not just like, wow, I'm unholy, they're holy, and I'm unholy. No, in their obedience to the Lord, and we in our transaction to the Lord, our sacrifice and offering to the Lord, now it trickles down to us. Now we are holy. You see? Because the formula is right. Remember the fondue we just happened to speak of on, on, on Sunday? That model, vertical, up, down, up, down, and down, up, you know, everything is perfectly aligned to the truth of Scripture. It's not just to say like, wow, look, these people are holy. These people are holy. No. Yes, they're holy in obedience to the Lord. But now we're holy because of their obedience and their exhortations and their warnings. And you and me, now we're obedient. Now the holiness, it's one holy family. You see? And I don't speak carnally when I say, you know, I don't speak in accordance to the world. You know, family is beautiful, but it's a family that is not of this world. It's the same blood, but it's a blood that is not of this world. Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, you see? And now we see this in verse uh, uh, 5, For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. You see, this isn't a small deal. This is no small thing. This is a very big deal. And even though priests conduct themselves like it's no big deal, that we're going to see that come into the camp. We're going to see the corruption start to happen and it's going to break your heart. But these people, these vessels of the Lord, you know, they're, I mean, look at Paul as new covenant believers. Look at Paul held in high esteem by the church, but he himself is the one to say, look, you know, you guys are like Kings. We're, we're the scum of the earth. You see, it's not, you know, you look, you guys are kings. And if you're kings, then we are super kings. And we got our mansions. We got our jets. We got our yachts. We got our mansions. We got our, you know, our uh, 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 Bentleys. No. Paul says, you guys are like kings. Us, we're trash. We're the scum of the earth. You see. And you know what's so powerful? is that you can see the early church, how they love Paul because he's a vessel of the Lord. But then in the course of time, when he starts to teach young Pastor Timothy to stand and he says to to, to exhort him in his own pastoral ministry, ministry, and then all of a sudden he says, only Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me, his prison letter. And it's sad because, you know, it's, it's it's beautiful to see Paul held in high esteem, but with godliness, a close proximity unto the Lord, 
the closest of closest proximity to the Lord, you're not going to find multitudes. You're not going to find the multitudes. You're going to see few. Because there's enmity with the world. Enmity with the things of the world. But remember, the Lord says to Ananias, when Ananias was praying and the Lord says, hey, take this guy Saul and bring him into your house. And I love it because Ananias, Lord, are you sure? Do you know who this Saul guy? I've heard, I've heard you know, not so good things about him. And then the Lord reveals, he is my chosen vessel. I'm going to use him. You see? And any vessel used of the Lord, beautiful. But then at the same time, there's the ugly side of it. And it's still beautiful, but when I say the ugly side of it, that's like carnally. Because the world, they hate these people. Male, female, young, old. Your proximity to Jesus Christ, your intimacy with Jesus Christ, we want it to be as the the most intimate you've ever had in your life. We want it to be with Jesus Christ. But when that happens, when that happens, don't expect a lot of friends. In fact, it's just the opposite. Expect a lot of enemies. Because they'll hate you. Even inside the church, they will hate you. But be of good cheer because Jesus Christ says, remember, they hated me first. And in this, we can rejoice. But these chosen vessels of the Lord, Old Testament, New Testament, it's the same formula. Just like we see here in verse 5, the Lord your God has chosen him, speaking of the, the priesthood, out of all your tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord. Him and his sons forever. This is not a small deal. This is a huge deal. Now, when we see the Lord, when you you study the Old Testament, and we're going to get there eventually. And we look at passages where the Lord says to Isaiah, tell the people their sacrifices are meaningless. Or Amos, tell the people their sacrifices, it's, it's, it's pointless. What happened? God didn't change his mind. The people changed their heart. And you think like, wow, that what a shame that people change their heart. And yes, it is shameful. But the fact that the Lord is pleading to them through the prophets, but not pleading to them through the priesthood. Very interesting. When the priesthood has abdicated their responsibility, now you see the Lord using the prophets. But it's the same thing in, like we see today. The, 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 the New Testament model. When you see the church abdicating their responsibility, it's not to say that, you know, uh, the Lord doesn't want people to be clean, clean before him. He does. But when the church has abdicated that responsibility, the pastors, when they have abdicated that responsibility through various means, you know, the three biggies, sex, drugs, alcohol, those are the three biggies. But then there's, you know, like, you know, uh, when the, that's one way the formula is not right. But other ways the formula is not right is the women pastors. Other ways the formula is not right is doctrine. When the, the doctrine must align, the formula is wrong. It's not to say that the Lord d- doesn't want the people to be clean. He absolutely does. But when the formula is wrong, 
He doesn't use, just like in the Old Testament, he doesn't use the priests to say, hey, tell the people that the sacrifices are no longer you know, good for them. You think the priests are going to say that? You think the priests have ears to hear that that's what the Lord says? They don't. Why? Because they're the very ones that, you know, if, if a priest is making, I'm just going to throw out a number. If the priests, you know, I'm putting monetary value here. But if the priests are making a million bucks a year based on the, uh, uh, the, 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 the offerings of the people, do you think if, if they have ears to hear the Lord say, Hey, tell the, tell the people that the sacrifices are worthless. They're, they're worthless that not to offer anymore. Do you think the priests, if they has, if they had ears, do you think they would obey that when they're making a million bucks a year? So what if it's five million, 10 million? I'm putting monetary value on inheritance, even though the, it says here that they shall not have inheritance. But when corruption sets in, all of a sudden, the focus is removed from the Lord and you see the fruit of it. You see the fruit of it in the people. Yes. But where in the world were the priests? Remember a lot of animals because there's a lot of sin and there's a lot of blood that's necessary. And so when you read the New Testament, you see the priests and they're like occupied with all kinds of things where they should be occupied is in the people being right before the Lord. But no, they're following Jesus around. They're attempting, you know, trying to trap him. They're following Jesus. And then when, when they, they're successful, I'm doing my air quotes, they're successful in killing Jesus. And don't forget, it's, you know, Jew and Gentile. The Romans were there. And they're successful, my air quotes, he rose again. And then all of a sudden, when Peter comes at the Peter and, you know, with Paul, they're like preoccupied. The priesthood, the Kohanim and the Levites, they're occupied with all these different things aside from what the law states that they should be doing. I'm not advocating the law. But you see, their focus is turned away from the Lord. And in so doing, now when you read Matthew 23, you'll understand why the Lord refers to them as blind guides and woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, exclamation point. You'll understand why, because they're blind. You see? And then the pastors, just like the priesthood in the Old Testament. And then the Lord sends prophets. Look, the priests have gone crazy. The priests have gone great. What's better? If, if you and me are, I'm not advocating the law, but if you and me are in the camp of Israel in Jeremiah's day, and what's better to heed the priests, the holy men, I'm doing my air quotes, the holy men, or the crazy guy named Jeremiah. They call him the weeping prophet, the lonely prophet. Everybody said he was crazy. What's better for you and me to heed? I meant say the priesthood of the Kohanim and Levites. Say there were a thousand, there's hundreds of thousands, millions of, of, of those in Judah. And everybody heeds the priests of which there are thousands and thousands. And then this, there's this one guy named Jeremiah. Now you and me, say we're of the tribe of Dan. You and me were of the tribe of Dan. Or we're, say we're of the tribe of Judah. And we have all these people to listen to. I mean, we got our friends and neighbors, but you know, they're not in, they're not in the official priesthood. 
So, we, you know, these are holy matters. So what do we do? Do we listen to the priests who we know in the law, they're tasked with being holy themselves, but for us to be holy. And then there's this crazy guy. He's all by himself. They call him crazy. And he weeps every time he speaks, he weeps. And he's lonely. Nobody's like a pariah. Oh, don't hang around Jeremiah. He's stupid. He's crazy. Don't listen to him. We're of the elect. Look, we're blessed of the Lord. So you and me, we're in the tribe of Dan. And who do we listen to? Not only that, but we know that, you know, there's this Nebuchadnezzar guy. He's no joke. And, you know, he's a he's a, a threat to, to, to us in Judah. Who do we listen to? You see, who is it safe to listen to? The multitude of, my air quotes, holy men? Or Jeremiah? You see? It's very important to understand this concept. And we, we touched on it quite a bit. And we touched on it a lot in our study through Corinthians. But to understand this biblical truth about the whole and the remnant. The whole is the whole. But within the whole, you're going to find leaven. And that leaven must be dealt with. And when I say dealt with, I don't mean like, you know, like they must be killed. They must be stoned. No, it has to be dealt with in a manner proportionate to, you know, what the Bible teaches. But also proportionate to, uh, of course, what the Bible teaches, but proportionate to, like, for example, if someone is is uh, 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 an alcoholic, you know, it's it's one thing if you know they 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 uh, there's the abuse of the alcohol for a week, there's abuse of alcohol for a month, but there's another thing if there's abuse of alcohol for ten years, and I'm talking about Christians inside the church, twenty years, thirty years, a whole lifetime. You see, remember the three years in First Corinthians. And that's what I mean when I say the uh, the uh, 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 the degree is proportionate to the situation, because we you you always want to give, and I, this is specifically for mostly for pastors. I shouldn't say specifically for pastors, but mostly for pastors and elders. There's the degree of grace and mercy, but then at the same time, we have to understand that the remnant must be pure. You see, must be pure. And purity is a beautiful thing. And sometimes there's leaven that just needs to be, just like Paul says, don't even eat with such a person. Anybody named the brother, don't even eat with such a person. Yes, there's the exercise of grace and mercy for, you know, in the case of Corinth, three years. But after three years, it was like, okay, look, you guys had your chance. Now, beyond three years, that's like, you know, I, you know maybe even the two-year point was, was the mark. But there's the, okay, look, you're taking advantage of God's grace. What Paul says in Romans, not good. Not good to take advantage of God's grace. You see? And that's what I mean when I say proportional to the, to the, to the infraction, you know, the sin, the trespass. Proportional. Always understanding grace and mercy. But then where you see God's grace being taken advantage of, now that has to be dealt in a different manner. You see? And only the crucified can correct. And in a church setting, those are pastors and elders. 
that are specifically tasked with doing exactly that. We see the model. As New Covenant believers, we see the New Covenant model. But nobody likes to do that anymore. Nobody likes to do that anymore, largely because of money. But the corruption, I mean, if, if, if a pastor's making X amount of dollars, and then all of a sudden, through correction, they're making half of that, a quarter of that, maybe none of that, because everybody leaves, do you think he's going to teach? Do you think he's going to tell the people, hey, don't do your sex anymore, don't do your alcohol, don't do your crack anymore? Do you think he's going to teach? No, the priest, the the, the 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 minister, the pastor, the elder. That's how corruption sets in. But when they become corrupt, all of a sudden the people become corrupted. The formula must be right, and it's so powerful because we see this truth, biblical truth, Old Testament and New Testament. And the sad part is, I mean, it's beautiful when we see it followed and applied. But it's terrible. It'll break your heart when you see it not applied. You see it in the Old Testament. You see it as in the New Testament. And you see it today. In verse 5, For the Lord your God has chosen him, speaking of the priesthood, out of all your tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. You see? So if a Levite comes from any of your gates, from where he dwells among all Israel and comes with all the, all the desire of his mind to place which the Lord, to the place which the Lord chooses. It's so powerful here because we see this, there's requirements for duties in the priesthood, but the Levite chooses to serve. I mean, if there's a Levite who is, has say like three kids, you know, two kids might say a, you know, Dad, you know, I, 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 I don't think I want to, to serve in the, in, 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 in the tabernacle. Dad, I'm sorry, you know, I know you want this one. I know you're raising me like this, but I don't think so. The dad says, why, son? And the, you know, a dad can look at the heart of his son and understand that, hey, you know, I get it. But there's this other son, you know, the third son. Not that, no, he's my favorite son, but no, there's this third son, but, you know, I see that his heart is right. He desires everybody to be right before the Lord. And so you two sons, you know, I'm, I'm, I love you. And yes, honor the Lord. And I know that, you know, I'm going to help you honor the Lord. But for this other son, you know, he has this, this desire to serve in the tabernacle. He has this desire uh, uh, for the people to be right before the Lord. And so I'm going to train him. I'm going to teach him about, you know, serving in the priesthood, serving in the capacity of the priesthood. I'm going to teach him about Abodah, Abodah Mishkan. Kind of like in the New Testament, we see that with Timothy and Paul. You see, Timothy and Paul. It's beautiful. The next generation, yes, of righteousness, but the next generation of leadership. You see? And then all of a sudden, in verse 7, then he may serve in the name of the Lord his God as all his brethren the Levites do who stand there before the Lord. They shall have equal portions equal portions to eat besides what comes from the sale of his inheritance. Now, it's like, for example, if say that you have a, a Levite who is who comes from a rich family. 
Now, a Levite who comes from a wealthy, wealthy family and then a Levite who is like, you know, comes from a poor family. You see, so like the rich guy, the rich Levite can say, well, it's no big deal if we don't have portions because, you know, oh, my, my family's wealthy. So I'll just buy, you know, the, the, the greatest. I'll eat the, the ribeye from my family. Doesn't work that way. Because remember, feast or famine among the priesthood, feast or famine is the very first impact of uncleanness in the camp of Israel. So say, for example, I don't want to sound uh, heretical in saying this, but say, for example, there's you and me and we're Levites. Now, not to sound heretical, I'm just giving an example. You and me were Levites. And then say, for example, there's like 10 other Levites that are with us. And so a total of 12. And there's you and me and a total of uh, uh, 10 other Levites. So a total of 12 Levites. And we're working in the tabernacle. And, you know, the, there's, uh, in, in one year, you know, that we're, we're eating, you know, an average, average meals. You know, we're not gaining weight. We're not losing weight. We're just getting old, you know, and serving the Lord. And so everything's fine. Everything. And I want to say fine. I mean, you know, it's, it's beautiful. I don't want to say like it's fine, like no big deal. It's fine, but it's a big deal because it's, Holy, the people are right before the Lord. And yes, there's sin, there's trespass, but we're doing our duty and it's being dealt with and everything's beautiful. Everything is kosher, we'll say. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, we start, we jump on the scale. You and me, we jump on the scale. Like, man, you know, I'm five pounds lighter than last week. And then, you know, you jump on the scale and wow, you're five pounds lighter too. We jump on the scale the following week. Wow, we're 10 pounds lighter now from last week. So a total of 15 pounds. You too. All of a sudden, we start losing weight. And then we start to wonder, well, what's happening? And we take notice. Like, well, I notice our our, our, our meals are smaller, proportional. What's I, I notice it's smaller. Wow, you know, you're right. I notice that too. And so all of a sudden, we go to the other priests, the other Levites, and everybody's losing weight. And then there's a wealthy Levite. And we, we, we talk, we have a little conference, a meeting of the minds. What's happening? Why aren't the people, look, the, the, the camp, everybody's, you know, they're having their babies and the families are growing and their flocks are growing and all these things. And look, we're, we're like losing weight because we're not eating. It's just the opposite. You'd think like, you know, uh, uh, more people. And yes, there's more, you know, I don't want there to be more sin. But, you know, just the trespass, the carnal nature, there's probably going to be more sin. And so we have to teach the people. We have to show them. And we also have to clean them. And so you'd think more people that, you know, there's more animals. And, you know, and, and you'd think that, you know, we wouldn't be starving. But here we are working in the tabernacle. We go home at night to our tents. And we're like starving. All of a sudden, our ribs start to show. We're like, wow, we are starving. And then we start to talk among the priesthood. Pray among the priesthood. And then it's discovered that there is corruption that has entered the priesthood. You see, corruption has entered the priesthood. And so as a result, people are forgetting the Lord. And as a result of them not sacrificing unto the Lord in one trans, in their own transactions to the Lord, 
we are the first ones to be impacted. Now, because we're the first ones to be impacted, our ribs are showing. We just look like very, very skinny because we're not eating. Now, all of a sudden, we should be the ones to say, hey, guys, remember this 12 people, you and me and 10 other people. Hey, guys, we got to repent. We got to get, you know, as a body, we got to get our hearts right before the Lord. Because I noticed there's this corruption that set in in this area, in this area, in this area. And because we're one, Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. Because of that corruption, because of that carnality, we're, we are not as a congreg- as, as one, as one body of priesthood, we are no longer Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. And we need to be Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. The formula needs to be right with us. And so that's what you say. You know, we're the priests and that's what you say. And I look at you, I nod my head, and I look at the people, and I say, you know what? I'm in complete and total agreement. We got to do exactly what this person said. We got to do exactly what he said. We got to do exactly what was said. We got to do it. But then there's a rich guy among us, a rich Levite. And he says, you know what? I know we're starving. I know we're hungry. But I come from a wealthy family. And you know what? We can get our supply of food from them. We can get our meat from them. And we can, you know, we can eat the best meat again. We can eat it all again and no big deal. We don't have to have our ribs showing. We don't have to be skinny. We don't have our stomach growling all the time. And so we'll just get our food from them. Don't worry about it, guys. Now, the problem was solved. We're able to eat again. Now our ribs don't show anymore. Now we start to get a little plump. Instead of getting in minus five pounds, we're plus five pounds. And we're getting plump. And now all of a sudden you think with carnal eyes, oh, look, look, they're blessed of the Lord. Look, they're nice and plump. Look, they're blessed of the Lord. And, you know, but the formula is wrong. Corruption has set in, you see, and it will it trickles down even further in the camp of Israel. It's in the, the camp of the priesthood, but now it trickles to the people, you see. With carnal eyes, think like, well, look, there's, they're, they're not eating right. And the guy, the rich guy, he just gets it from his house, his home. Look, we're fulfilling the law. Look, it says in, uh, 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 in, verse, uh, in, in verse 8, they shall have equal portions to eat. So look, there's 12 people, you and me and 10. So there's 12 people and we're all eating the same exact portions. Instead of being small portions where we're losing weight and tiny portions where we're all losing weight. Now that losing weight and that getting skinny and that getting weak, that would be a sign to us. That would tell us we need to repent. The formula is not right with us. We need to repent. We need to make sure our hearts are right with the Lord. We need to make our own sacrifices to the Lord so that our hearts can be right with the Lord. Because remember, only the clean can clean. Only the clean can clean. Only the crucified can correct. You see? An Old Testament example of only the crucified can correct. But Old Testament, New Testament, only the clean can clean. And so the rich Levite says, don't worry about it, guys. We'll, we'll, we'll eat like kings again. Look, we're going to eat the best because, look, I got a wealthy family and I'll just get our supply from them. But no, the formula is wrong. Because remember... In, in verse, in, in verse uh, uh, 2, the Lord is their inheritance. The Lord is everything. Among the Kohanim or among the, the, the Levites, the, Levit, the priesthood, the Lord is everything. The Lord is the supply. The Lord is 
everything. You see, I know there's family. And yes, we love family. But the Lord is everything. You see? And whether we there's feast or famine, the Lord is everything. If there's famine, it's a sign for us like, hey, something's wrong here. Something's not right. You see? And in that, it keeps our hearts nice and soft before the Lord. Not pine, not oak, not maple, not balsa. It keeps our hearts nice and soft like soft jello. You see? Because we're closely in tune with the Lord. Even when we falter, it's like, well, we're faltering. We need to get right with the Lord. And that's beautiful. But you see here what happens is that in verse 8, they shall have equal portions to eat besides what comes from the sale of inheritance. Now, that's the problem that sets in. It's like people start relying on outside means. And when I say outside means, means that are, you know, from the family, family means that are from, uh, like the example I gave where, um, um, a, 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 a priest has three kids, three sons and, you know, two sons say, Hey dad, you know, I think I'm going to, I'm not going to be in the priesthood. I think I'm going to, you know, uh, be, uh, I think I'm going to go into this line of work. I think I'm going to do this. I think I'm going to do that. Now, Say, for example, those kids go off, start their businesses, and they become empires. They become like, whoa, they are the best at what they do, and they have their empires. All of a sudden, among the priesthood, it's going to take focus away. You see, even still in that environment, there are you know there are rules and statutes in the law for inheritance. But for the priesthood, the inheritance is from the Lord. The Lord is everything. You see, and when that model is followed, just like the fondue we studied last week or last Sunday, or this last Sunday, it just so happens. When that model is followed, now you see holiness in the camp and it is glorious, glorious. And you see points in time where that is the state of Israel, glorious. But the majority of points in time, something's off track. And it is ugly. You see, sometimes it's within kings. Sometimes it's within the people. But whenever it's among the kings and the people, you always see it among the priests. And then the Lord says to the prophets, Isaiah, I got a job for you. Jeremiah, I got a job for you. Amos, I got a job for you. You see? And he says it today. Hey, I got a job for you. Male, female, I got a job for you. You see? Tell the people, tell the people, tell the people. And I can Jeremiah's day. Oh, how dare you say that, Jeremiah? We're of the elect. God is for us. Who can be against us? We're of the elect, Jeremiah. You're crazy. You're so stupid. You're crazy. You've lost your mind. But where was the safety? Heeding the priests or heeding Jeremiah? Where was the safety? Because the formula must be right. And so we see this in verse 9. When you come into the land where the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. Remember, the world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. You shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. Israel is different. Israel, they're not Canaanites. Israel, they're not Moabites. 
Israel, they're not Jebusites. They're not Hittites or Hivites. They are Israel, governed by God. Now, remember Jacob had his name changed to Israel. No longer do I call you Jacob. You are now Israel, governed by God. That was his name change. But in order to be governed by God, that's a choice. That's a choice. Even today, governed by God, that's a choice. Somebody says, here, here's the, the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. Okay, let's do it. Let's go cook our spoons. No, that's not governed by God. But then the person says, nope, I don't roll that way anymore. Nope, I'm not, I'm not down with that. Because I am governed by God. And he doesn't like it. And he won't permit it. And I am not going to go beyond the, the boundary of what he says is good for me. So no crack for me. No strippers for me. You see, no pornography for me. No prostitutes for me. No occult for me. Why? Because it's not pleasing to the Lord. And I want to live to glorify him. You see? Oh, you're so stupid. You're so stupid. You're a legalist. You're a legalist. You're going too far with Jesus. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with going too far with you? It's beautiful. And it's sad because these are people who don't understand. They don't see. But Old Testament, New Testament, it's the exact same thing. Governed by God is a choice. You can't just a blanket statement. Oh, God is sovereign and I'm, a, I'm of the elect. God is sovereign and I'm of the elect. Being governed by God is a choice. You see? I mean, if you want to say, I'm not mocking God's sovereignty. He is absolutely sovereign. But if you want to rely on his sovereignty in your, uh, uh, your state of election, then your behavior better show that God is indeed sovereign in your life. I can't tell you how many times I've had these conversations, mostly with the Calvinists and the Reformed, who don't understand uh, uh, theology. Now, if you're Calvinist or Reformed, I love you. But listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. You'll understand more. And then leave Calvinism and Reformed theory. The Reformed theory people are starting to say it's okay to take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved because they don't understand uh, the Bible. Listen to our study through, yes, Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. But then also listen to a study called, Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast. And you'll hear, you'll, you'll hear a reformer Calvinist say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. You see, dangerous times. But, apropos, very apropos, in these times in which we live, but if you want to lean heavily on the sovereignty of the Lord, which is beautiful. I don't want to say that's a bad thing. It's beautiful. But the behavior should reflect the sovereignty of the Lord. Not like, okay, I'm going to go to the strippers and look, God is sovereign. So I'm good to go. I'm right with the, in, the, in the eyes of the Lord. I'm in the right. I'm, in, I'm of the elect. I'm going to go hang out with the strippers. I'm going to go gambling tonight. I'm going to do the prostitutes. I'm going to do the pornography. I'm going to do the Buddhas. I'm going to do uh, the occult. And look, God is sovereign. 
No, that is behavior that doesn't reflect his sovereignty. That is behavior that doesn't reflect a heart that is governed by God. That is waywardness, which also is wickedness. You see? Let's let's just be straight up. Let's just be straight up here. And the Lord says here in verse 9, You shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. Why? Because Israel, you're different. You are consecrated. You are a different people. You're not Jebusites. You're not Canaanites. You're Israelites. But the same thing applies to the Christian. I wish I could say a blanket statement. No, you're not of the world. You're Christians. I wish I could say that. But I can't say that. Prophetically speaking, we know that judgment comes first in the house of God. Just like in Corinth. When Corinth came into the church, Paul says, yes, you guys are saints, but we're going to make a little difference now. And that difference is leaven and the remnant. And that's what I say to you in these last days. We must learn to make this distinction. This is the whole, this is leaven, and this is the remnant. You see? And what camp do you want to be in? I pray the remnant for all of our days. Remember, we're in the same boat. This isn't like, hey, you guys got to do this and I'm going to go do my crack. You guys got to do this and I'm going to go to the strippers. No. We're all in the same boat and I speak to the remnant. You shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. It's the same thing today. You shall not learn to follow the abominations of those people. And I say those people both inside and outside the church. Whoa, that's a heavy statement. Not follow the abominations inside the church. You mean to tell me that there can be abominations inside the church? Absolutely. Absolutely. There are abominations in the last day's church. Remember, judgment comes first to the church. There has to be abominations in the church. In order for that scripture, in order for that to come to pass, which it will, there has to be abominations in the church. What do you see in churches today? Abominations. You see? The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. I wish I could say, well, the church is holy. But the church has become corrupt. The church has corrupted themselves. Pastors have corrupted themselves. Elders have corrupted themselves. But just as in the Old Testament, Ezekiel, Ezekiel got a job for you. Jeremiah, I got a job for you. You see? Amos. You see? Zephaniah, I got a job for you. And I wonder if that's the voice of the Lord today unto you. I wonder. You see? You can't be a novice. If you're a novice, choose to be in the remnant. If you're not a novice and you're mature in Christ, 
I wonder if the same thing the Lord asked of Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and all these beautiful vessels. I wonder if you have ears to hear that call. Not the novice, only for the mature. Because yes, we're living in the days of Noah. But we're also living in the days of Elijah. And you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. Verse 10. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his sons or daughter, his, his son or his daughter pass through the fire. This is an offering to Molech. And what they did was in these nations outside of Israel, these other nations of which the Lord says don't follow these abominations, what they would do is they would take this, this idol, they would build this idol. And they would have the, the hands extended of this idol. They would create it, you know, mostly like, like iron works or something that can get like, like some type of metal. And the, the hands of this idol would be extended out and there'd be a big hole in the belly. And so what they would do, mothers would take their children. They would, they would burn the, they would have a fire underneath the hands. And so the hands would get like glowing red. You ever see like embers in a fire, how they glow red? Well, that's how the hands of this God would be. I say God, lowercase g, but this idol. And so this idol, the hands would be glowing hot. Glue because the fire, they would just have it rest in the fire. And then all of a sudden the hands would be glowing hot. And there's a big hole in the belly where they have this huge inferno inside. And they would worship it. This is Molech. The people outside of Israel, they would worship Molech. And so the mothers would come with their children alive, not dead. They're alive children. And they would place them on the burning, glowing hot hands. And the children would burn. They would like scream and the children would die. And then they have the, the priests of Molech would have this big stick and they'd poke the, the child and the child would fall into the hole where the belly was into the burning inferno inside the belly of Molech. You see, the killing of children and offering to Molech, mothers offering children to Molech. And all, all uh, 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 sanctioned by the dads. Hey, wife, why don't you go ahead? You go ahead, serve Molech. Oh, you, let's 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 worship God, but then you know we'll also worship Molech. You see that in the camp of Israel, not here, but in the course of time, you're going to see the worship of Molech. You see, it happens. It's an abomination before the Lord. The God of abortion, Molech. Some Bibles say Molech, other Bibles say Moloch. Same. Same, same. Molech, Moloch. The God of abortion. Parents killing their children. Moms killing their children. You see? Wickedness. It enters the camp. But how does it enter the camp? Remember the example I gave earlier where, you know, the priests, they start to get skinny. And the rich guy says, hey, guys, don't worry about it. You know, we're skinny, but let's get fat again and we'll get it from this outside source. Now, once that happens, once this sustenance is has this, from this outside source, 
all of a sudden, the Lord is no longer the 100% inheritance. Now, because the Lord is not the 100% inheritance, the starvation, that's from the Lord. It's to get the attention of the priest to say, hey, something's wrong. Now, because the priests, this can't be addressed because they're, they're going to this outside source. All of a sudden, the wickedness gets worse and worse. Yes, in the priesthood. because they get Instead of being skinny, they're going to get nice and fat. And they're not going to get nice and fat because of, you know, uh, the people, the people have forgotten the Lord. But they're not going to get nice and fat because of, you know, they all of a sudden they start to do right. And people start making their offerings again and their, their sacrifices and offerings to the Lord. No, they go outside means, outside the formula. The formula is now wrong. And now certain things start to happen in the camp of Israel. The Lord becomes forgotten. The, you know, it, it, the, 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 the people don't give as much as they used to. They don't make sacrifices and offerings like they, they used to. But the priests don't mind. Why? Because they've been corrupted. They get fat from these outside sources. And then they start to lord over the people. Well, you know, the Lord is our inheritance. But if you want to be right with the Lord, then you have to give a portion of your land to the priests. Now you see the empire of the priesthood start to grow. With carnal eyes. With carnal eyes, you think like, wow, they're blessed of the Lord. Look, the priests, they're not skinny. They're nice and plump. Wow, look, people are offering to the Lord. They're nice and plump. And look, they have these lands that the Lord has given to them. But no, the priests have been lording over. You see? And with carnal eyes, you think like, wow, the priests are blessed. I better do what they say. Then you have Jeremiah come on the scene. Not really willingly. I mean, when you read Jer- the book of Jeremiah, it's, there's willingness, but it's kind of like a hesitancy to it. Especially with Ezekiel. Well, Ezekiel's like, Lord, you have the priests. Use them. Why are you calling me, Lord? Use the priests. And the Lord says, okay, Ezekiel, you think they're holy? Let me show you. Let me show you what you think is holiness. And then the Lord shows Ezekiel they're not holy. The people think they are, but they're not. Where is the safety? You and me in the camp of Judah in Jeremiah's day, where is the safety? With the multitude or with the one crazy guy? (laughs) Where is the safety? (laughs) You see? In the days of John the Baptist, where was the safety? With the multitude, with the priesthood? Or with the crazy guy who ate locusts? No disrespect to John the Baptist, but... They call him a crazy guy. I'm doing my air quotes. The crazy guy, Jeremiah, or the crazy guy, uh, John the Baptist? You see? Where's the safety? Now the formula must be right. And the Lord knows when the formula is right. He knows. The Lord knows. The sovereign Lord knows when the formula is right. But in order for the people to know, you have to be a Berean. You have to know the word. Even more so in this day, you have to know the word. And then you'll know the formula is right. See? And the formula has to be right in you. It's beautiful. It's holy. A New Testament, the New Covenant example of Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. 
But then the people forget. The camp of Israel forget, just like the people today. The church has forgotten. You say, how can you say the church forgot? Look, everybody comes to church on Sunday. Everybody goes to church on Wednesday. What do you mean the church has forgotten? Well, what is it that you see inside the church? Is it the right formula? Because if it's the right formula, all women pastors need to step down. There should be no women pastors. That takes care of a lot of fellowships. That, I shouldn't say takes care of, but it addresses a lot of fellowships. Transgender, homosexual pastors, they should step down. If the formula was right, they should step down. And that takes care of another set of fellowships. You see? Pastors who are on their marriage number three, four, five, and their previous wives are not dead, that should cancel out a whole, that addresses a whole bunch of other fellowships. Pastors where there's not order in the home, the wives crazy, okay, that addresses more. And I'm, you, we're just looking at the, the, the formula that you can see. Pastor wants to get drunk and do his sex and his drugs and his alcohol and go gambling. That, take, that takes care of a lot of fellowships. And outside of repentance, those, those pastors, so-called pastors, they're in big trouble when they stand before the Lord. Huge trouble. And we're just looking at the things that you can see with your eyes. You see? Look at the fruit. Now, now that more than half of pastors have been addressed, now we look at doctrine. You see? Now we look at doctrine. And that takes care of more than half. Because the formula must be right. Now you understand why, why you hear us say from time to time four categories of the last day's church, false apostate, entering apostasy, or true. And if it is true, you're not going to find the majority. You're going to find a remnant. You see? It's hardcore. But it will come to pass. It is already happening. And it will come to pass. All of scripture will be fulfilled. And the same way we see this corruption enter the church, it's nothing new because it happened in the camp of Israel. So we look at verse 10. And here in verse 10, there shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. This is an offering to Molech or Moloch. Same thing. You hear me say Molech, it's Moloch. I mean, sometimes, you know, people have certain Bibles that says Moloch, and then other people have certain Bibles that say Molech. Sometimes in the same Bible, you see this, you know, the chain where the uh, uh, translator one says Molech, and one Bible says Molech and Moloch. It's the same. But then we see here, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer. Soothsayer is a predictor of the future through unholy means, which is very, very common. This is like your Nostradamus type. Oh, Nostradamus was, you know, he predicted the future. It's unholy. It's outside of scripture. And yet people follow this. So when you see the uh, soothsayer, that's like the Nostradamus type. It's unsanctioned from holy scripture. You see? And yet people heed. In the church, I'm speaking of the church. The world is the world. If the world wants to do whatever, I don't like it. But, you know, that's the world. But the formula must be right. 
I mean, you look at like the Salem witch trials, and when you see the Salem witch trials, it, it, it you see you you read like the reports of what was happening in Salem, you know, in early, uh, you know, uh, before 1776. But when you read the uh, Salem witch trials that, that happened in the the, uh, the colonies, and what happened is that you, you read the reports of the uh, condition of the people, and there was definitely absolutely demonic influence. You see, like, people possessed, demonic possession. But the problem was the Christians, I'm doing my air quotes, the Christians... The Reformed, the Calvinists, the Reformed, the Puritans, the uh, 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 Dutch Reformed, they were not following the right formula. You see? And so what did they do? They applied the Old Testament. And they said, okay, this person's a witch. Let's kill him. Let's kill him. No. Where in the New Testament do you see uh, 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 witches being killed? You don't see that in the New Testament. You see, you see the demon being cast out. A lot of times, you know, I've had these conversations with Satanists and the Satanists, they always point to the Salem witch trials. Well, you Christians, you did this and look, you killed all this. Okay, number one, let's look at, let's look at Christianity here. Because, you know, they want to call themselves Christians, but when you look at the history and how in accordance to that doctrine, how this problem, how this situation was dealt with, this situation was dealt with in an unholy manner. You see? What did, what did Paul do with the witches? You see? What did he do with the sorcerers? No, those demons were cast out. You see? Remember the, the crazy guy in the cemetery? Chained up and demonically possessed by legion? You know, he wasn't, you know, the, you, you see the, 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 the apostles in those days. And they weren't Puritans. They weren't Dutch Reformed. They weren't Calvinists. And so, in light of that, they didn't apply the, 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 the wrong formula and say, okay, let's kill him. This guy's crazy. He's in chains. He's demonically possessed. Okay, let's kill him. Let's cut off his head. Let's, you know, burn him in the fire. No, the formula was right in these people. And they cast out demons. Sometimes I have these conversations with the Satanists. And they're Satanists. I say Satanists, and even they would say Satanists. But really, they are more anti-God. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, Satanists who are who, who know exactly what they're doing and they choose Satan, those are more Luciferian. But sometimes Satanists are Satanists because they just think, well, I'm anti-God. Okay? Well, let's analyze this God in which you base your opinion. Tell me about this God in which you base your opinion. And sometimes they bring up the Salem witch trials. Well, you Christians did this. Okay. But you're referring to a different God. Because you're referring to like the, the Puritans, the Dutch Reformed, the Calvinists, the Reformed theory people. Their theory is wrong. They weren't following the right formula. Yes, there was this problem with demonic possession in Salem. But instead of applying this theory to this problem they needed to apply the bible to this problem where were the pauls where were the peters where were the stevens you see you might have had a, a lot of uh sons of siva there who thought that they could uh, uh make the cast this demon out 
but they were unable to. Why? Because the formula was wrong. And so what did they resort to? What did they resort to? Let's kill them. Let's kill this person. Let's burn them. You see? And the Satanists, sometimes they're just like, their eyes are like as big as saucers. Like, what in the world? I've never even heard this. I've never even heard this. What are you talking about? Well, you have to look at the formula. The formula must be right. And so Satanists, they affirm that, yes, they are Satanists. But sometimes when you have these conversations, you have to make another distinction. Well, are they Luciferian or are they just anti-God? And if they're anti-God, then why is it the majority of the times they base their decision on a God that is not the God of the Bible? They base their decision on a formula that is wrong, usually on an hypocrisy, too. Sometimes people are Satanists because of the hypocrisy they see in, in Christians, in the church, in pastors, in elders. They say, wow, if, if that's Christianity, I want nothing to do with it. And in that regard, I have no disagreement in any way, shape, or form. If that is Christianity, I want nothing to do with it either. But let me tell you something. The hypocrisy you see in the church today, that is not biblical Christianity. The formula is wrong. Remember, only the crucified can correct. You see? Only the clean can clean in accordance to the right formula. Not the Puritan formula, not the Dutch Reformed formula. And I know a lot of, a, a lot of people base their theology on the history of certain doctrines. But the doctrine must align itself, must align with the truth of the Bible. Otherwise, it's just a theory. You see, in verse 10, or the one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer. And there are people, Christians today, who seek after the soothsayers. They, they, they believe in Jesus Christ, but they also believe Nostradamus. You see, the predictor of future through unholy means. You see, which is very common in the church today. Or one who interprets omens. These are things which are signs, so to speak. It's things which they consider to be signs. Like, like you know, there's a saying, you know, don't, don't step on a crack or you, you break your mother's back. Or something like that. I don't know how it goes. Or like, you know, if, a, if you know, like, you know, you step on a crack and you're going to break your mother's back. There's certain, like, little sayings like that. Well, that... That's, that's, that's the interpretation of omens. You know, there's, that's a belief system, but it's a belief system that's not based on the truth of Holy Scripture. If you step on a crack, your, your mom's back isn't going to break. And if you do believe that, well, believing that, that means you're not believing the Bible, which presents a whole nother ballgame. You see, the formula must be right. Or a sorcerer, says in verse 10, or a sorcerer who is a practicer of magic. That's what a sorcerer is, a practicer of magic. Now, a little exhortation and a warning for parents. Be very careful when kids get involved with magic. Because it might seem like, you know, an innocent thing. You know, uh, a kid has his, you know, deck of cards and says, hey, you know, pick a card, any card. Which I get, I understand, you know, kids get involved with all kinds of different things. But what happens when it comes into magic is that all of a sudden the card trick, the kid wants to learn more. And they go into the, the dark arts because they want to learn more. And the whole time they're being seduced into dark arts. And the whole time they're being introduced into practicing magic and wickedness. Be very careful, parents. Be wise to the times. 
Remember, we're called to be loving. We're called to be gracious. We're called to be merciful. We're called to be. Uh, we're called to be forgiving. All of these be- beautiful attributes that are inside of a believer, a Christian. But never, ever, ever in the Bible will you hear the Lord call somebody to be stupid. Never. We have to be wise to the times. In verse eleven, or one who conjures spells, or a medium. Medium is talking to the dead. And this is common in the church. The world is the world. I don't like it in the world, but it's the world. Remember, Paul says, listen, I didn't mean anybody in the world. He says, if, if, that, if that were the case, we need to get on a rocket ship and colonize Mars, colonize the moon. I'm paraphrasing. But he said, you'd have to go out of the world. No, these are things that are inside the world. But Paul says, I'm speaking about inside the church. The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. One who conjures spells or a medium. This is talking with the dead. And this is happening in the church today. Or a spiritist. A spiritist, which is like a wizard. Or one who calls up the dead. This is necromancy. This is someone who summons spirits from the dead. You see? Like some new cars, they have the summon option. Your car could be parked in one area. You pull out your phone or your watch and you hit a button and it summons your car and it's a boom right there. That's the latest technology. The car comes to you. But the same thing applies. This summoner, this who calls up the dead is to summon, not a car, is to summon the dead spirits from the dead or the spirits themselves. And yes, this is happening in the church today. Look at Redding, California. Bethel Church, Bill Johnson and his cohorts, Francis Chan, grave soaking. Let's go lay on the grave so that the Spirit, the Holy, they call it the Holy Spirit. Let's go lay on the grave so that the Holy Spirit, which they call Holy, lowercase h, that ain't holy. The Spirit that's in this dead guy, this dead lady, can rise up from the corpse and rise up through the earth and since you're laying on the ground the gravesite since you're laying on the ground it's going to soak up into you you see necromancy an abomination before the lord inside the church see and I'm the bad guy. People get mad. Oh, why do you say that? Don't say that. How are you so mean? That's so mean. Where in the Bible does it say we're called to be stupid? You won't find it. I mean, there is stupidity in the Bible, but that's also judgment. Strong delusion is God's judgment. You see? An abomination before the Lord inside the church. So now... Look at the last day's church. Look at the church today. You have grave soaking. You have the, you know, the, uh, 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 the people who, uh, 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 they like Nostradamus. They listen to, they heed the warnings of Nostradamus. This is inside the church. You see it all over the world. But you see it inside the church. Abominations before the Lord. You see? And what does the Lord say in verse 9? You shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. 
Oh, how dare you speak this way against Redding, California, and Bethel, and Bill Johnson, and Francis Chan, and all their cohorts. How dare you say that against the cohorts of, look, it's a global ministry. Look, they have beautiful music, and look, they do all these things. That's nice. That's nice. The formula must be right, my beautiful friend. I love you. I love you. I love you. But the formula must be right. You see? Let's look at verse 12. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. Boom. There you go. Let's look at that again. I can't tell you how many times I've heard from people. Oh, how dare you speak against this church? Look, they do beautiful things and all this and that. And so what if they go, go grave soaking? If that's they, how they want to interpret things. If that's how the pastor exhorts Christians, look, they believe in Jesus Christ. Look, we're all brothers. They're our sisters. They're our brothers. And look, the pastor says that they're going to go take the, these, the, the, the youth group and then go lay on the grave. It's called grave soaking. But that's exactly what it is to, to, to lay on the, like the tombstone, you know, the, the earth, the tombstone. And they say to lay on these people from early Christians. They'll go to like, you know, sometimes they'll go on, you know, church trips and they'll go to like, oh, let's go to the grave of this holy guy, this holy lady. And they, they actually, this, this is inside the church. I mean, this, it's craziness. And the world is the world. The world is already crazy. But I'm speaking about inside the church. Good old Bethel. They lay on the grave. And the whole purpose of it is so that the Holy Spirit, this is in accordance to what they say, so that the Holy Spirit can come out of the that dead body or bones or dirt that returned to the earth, d- decayed body, that the Holy Spirit will come from that casket, soak through the earth, and enter the body of that Christian who was laying on the grave. Woe to these pastors. W-O-E to these pastors. Woe to these pastors, these blind guides. Woe to them. Outside of repentance, these pastors will burn in hell. Woe to the pastors. But if the blind want to follow the blind, both will fall into a ditch. You see? Not good. Oh, how dare you say that? Look, they're Christians. They're our brothers. They're our sisters. You shouldn't speak that way. The formula has to be right. But they believe in Jesus. Even the demons believe. But the demons don't obey. Demons don't follow the formula. You see? In verse 12, for all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You see, a problem that happens in the camp of Israel is that, yes, the Lord drives them out. But 
the people seek them out. It's a problem in the Old Testament. It's a problem in the New Testament. And it's a problem today where the Lord cleans house and praise be to the Lord. But the people run back to the vomit. Oh, my best friend was at this church. Look, I used to be in Bethel and I came out of Bethel, but my best friends used to be there. So now I go back. And so what? We go grave soaking. Judge not lest you be judged. Don't judge me lest you be judged. So what if I go grave soaking? The Bible refers to it as necromancy. And yes, the the very act is an abomination. But then in verse 12, all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. Oh, that's Old Testament. Look, New Testament, God is love. Old Testament, God is love. He hasn't changed. He never changes. See? The Bible refers to the last days as perilous for a reason. It's because they're perilous. And yet you see this in verse 13. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. You shall be whole. You shall be uh, upright and true before the Lord. That's how that translates. You shall be blameless before the Lord. And I love how this is written. You know why? Because it also shows limitations in the law. The law was created with limitations, with loopholes. Why? To make room for a better law. The law of Christ. And the law of faith in Christ. Listen to our study through Romans and Galatians. You'll understand. In verse 14 For these nations which you dispossess, listened. They regarded the soothsayers and diviners. You see? That's what they did. Remember remember our study in chapter 9, in Deuteronomy 9. You know, the Lord isn't giving you this land, he says to the people. The Lord isn't giving you this because you're awesome. It's not because you guys are cool. It's not because you guys are awesome. No, it's because they are wicked. You see? And for these nations, for these peoples, the Canaanites, the uh, Jebusites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Moabites. It's instead of them heeding God, the people heeded the abominations. He says, you guys aren't inheriting this land because you're awesome. It's because of their wickedness. The people saw what happened in Egypt when the Lord made himself known. And instead of denying those gods, instead of denying the Moleks and the Baals, instead of denying the abominations, instead of denying these things, listening to the soothsayers and diviners, no, they dug down. And because they dug down, the Lord says, okay, Israel, now you're going to inherit these lands. You see, they lost their lands because they didn't acknowledge me. It's not because you're awesome, Israel. It's because of their wickedness. Listen to our study through chapter 9. Chapter 9, you'll understand. In verse 14, these nations which you will dispossess, they regarded, they listened to soothsayers and the, the, the diviners. You see? God who sustains through the Lord Jesus Christ in him, all things that were made were made by him, through him, for him, for his glory. He holds all things together. It just so happens we touched on this on Sunday. It just so happens. And for the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, 
this door of mercy, it's it's gonna close. It's gonna close. It's it's barely open at this particular juncture. It's barely open. Barely open. But the door will surely close. Rahab barely made it. Which we'll study pretty soon. Rahab barely made it. But the door was open. You see? And that's what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. All of a sudden you start to see the cesspool among the people. But even that is prophetic. Old Testament and New Testament. Because that's what happens when salt has lost its flavor. And when salt loses its flavor, remember, you are the salt of the earth. A biblical truth, you are the salt of the earth. But, oh, once saved, always saved. No, that, that's a lie. It is not biblical, once saved, always saved. It is not biblical. You know, Luke 8. We said it, we say it quite a bit, but since, you know, it's been a while, we'll look at it again. In Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, verse 13, we see, but the ones on the rock, this is the seed is the word of God. And in verse 13, Luke chapter 8, verse 13, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy, and these have no root. So you have a soul who hears the word and they receive the word with joy. And he says here in verse 13, who believe for a while. They only believe not for the long haul. They believe for a little bit. And in time of temptation, they fall away. This falling away is going to be exponential in the last days. It is prophetic apostasy, the falling away. Oh, but once saved, always saved. Nope. That's not what the Bible teaches. And you have people today who heed and listen to the soothsayers, the diviners, just as is written in Deuteronomy 18, verse 14. They listen to the soothsayers. They listen to the diviners. They listen to the necromancers. Hey, guys, let's go grave soaking. A guy at the pulpit. Okay, after church today, we're going to go lay on the graves. And the people today, they heed those things. Just as is written in the Old Testament, the nations which you dispossess, listen to the soothsayers and diviners. What about Christians today? People who believe in Jesus Christ, but because he is not preeminent, they also believe in fill in the blank. You see, they defile themselves. Now, a Berean would know, hey, we're not supposed to go grave soaking. A Berean. But the multitudes... The majority, vast majority, are not Bereans. They don't study the scriptures, you see. And now look what happens in verse 14. But as for you, in verse 14, as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you, you see. And so many times people say, oh, God is sovereign. Look, he's appointed me to life. He appoints these people for wrath, but he appointed me for heaven. Okay. Now, if that's you. Listen to our study through Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. You'll understand about predestination. It's very true that Christians are not appointed to God's wrath. It's very, very true that Christians are not appointed to God's wrath. But within Christian, 
The formula better be right. <laughs> the formula better be right. Because look what is written here in verse 14. As for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. Now, you could say, well, God is sovereign, so Israel, they're not going to dabble with this. Israel is not going to seek out the soothsayers. Israel is not going to seek out Molech. Israel is not going to do these things because, look, the Bible says that God has not appointed it for, for them. But in the course of time, what happens? Israel is going to dabble with these things. Does that mean the Bible is not true? Does that mean God told a lie? Satan would have a person believe such. But no. Obedience is a choice. As for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. Oh, cool. Look, he appointed this for them and this for me and this for them and this for me. I'm of the elect. I'm good to go. But don't forget. Obedience is required. You see? Obedience is required. The Lord says, turn left. I got to turn left. The Lord says, turn right. I got to turn right. Obedience is required. The Lord says, turn left, and I don't turn left. That's disobedience. The Lord says, turn right, and I don't turn right. That's disobedience. And at the final destination, if I heeded the voice of the Lord, we're good to go. If we heed the voice of the Lord, we're good to go. But at the end, if we have not heeded the voice of the Lord, we are not good to go. Why? Because we're lost. He said, turn left, we turn right. You see, God never changes. The people change. And so we see this in verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst. Now, this notice the capitalization here. This is a prophetic implications with Jesus Christ. This People say, okay, Jesus Christ was a prophet then because look, the Bible says he's a prophet. No, how it translates to the Hebrew is an inspired man according to prophecy. Certain problems, you know, people say, oh, I'm King James only. I read King James only, but there's problems in New King James and King James. But when you look at the original script, the original text, the Hebrew text, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, but translates as an inspired man according to prophecy. Speaking of Jesus Christ. People say, oh, Jesus was just a prophet. Christians, Jesus was just a prophet. So look, I'll also believe in Muhammad. Jesus was just a prophet. So look, I'll also believe in Mary. I'll also believe in Buddha. I'll also believe in fill in the blank. Because look, this prophecy of Jesus Christ, who you call the Messiah, says he's just a prophet. Wrong. A man according to prophecy. You see how powerful this is? Knowing that the law points to Jesus Christ, everything leads to Jesus Christ. But in order to find Jesus Christ through the law, yes, there's obedience. But then at the same, I'm not advocating the law and saying that. I'm just speaking, speaking on timeline and from, from a timeline perspective. There needs to be obedience, yes, which gives room to trusting the Lord, loving the Lord, and hope in the Lord and for the Lord, the fulfillment of the law, which is Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus Christ says to the Pharisees, Moses wrote about me because here he is right here speaking of this 
Man, capital M, according to prophecy. Verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. From your brethren, him you shall hear according to all you, all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore, lest I die. Now, this is very, very forward-looking. It points to a future hope in Jesus Christ because remember what happened in Horeb when Moses, you know, look, you know, you know the, the, the people wanted to hear the voice of the Lord. And so the Lord was like, okay. And then the voice of the Lord came and the people were like, you know, all of a sudden, Moses, no, 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 no. Don't let the Lord speak to us, Moses. You speak to the Lord and we'll do whatever you say, Moses. Very forward looking because now the people can hear but the question is, in the course of time, who has ears? Who's on the right frequency, so to speak? You see, all these things in the law, which keeps a heart nice and soft, so that when the seed should come, in accordance to prophecy, when the seed should come, capital S, remember our study through Galatians, when the seed should come, that they will know, here he is. Here he is, the Messiah. This man, according to prophecy, that Moses wrote about. See? But when God became forgotten, the very priesthood, the Kohanim, the Levites, they became God's enemies. And that's what happens through corruption. It's called the deceitfulness of sin, the heart of unbelief. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. Turn with me really quick to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see the trap that Satan sets before us? And who is wise to the times? To understand this holy formula, beautiful formula that the remnant follows for all the days of his life, all the days of her life. You see? Yes, being loving, gracious, merciful, for, merciful, forgiving, but not stupid, just the opposite, wise. Saying to wisdom, you are my sister. Saying to understanding, you are my nearest kin. As is written in the scriptures. And so we see here in Deuteronomy 18. In verse 17, and the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. Now, you, you read this. Wait a second. So the, the, the Lord said to Moses that this is good. But in Horeb, the, they didn't want to hear the voice of the Lord. You see? They didn't want to hear the, the the voice of the Lord. But when the Lord says, and the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. Now, remember the third set of Ten Commandments that were given to the people? The inclusion of sacrifice. The inclusion of blood. Life in the blood. You see? 
In verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. You see, the Pharisees in the days of Jesus, when the seed arrived, they didn't know who they were speaking to. Some of them knew. You know, when you read the Gospels, some knew. But they didn't like it. They liked the, they liked the, the riches. They liked the riches. They didn't want to change their ways. They, they didn't want to. You, you see that. But the majority among the priesthood, they were blind. They didn't know. Some of them knew. But the majority didn't know. You see? And they say, oh, we're following Moses. Look, we're hardcore. We follow Moses. Now you understand why Jesus says, Moses wrote about me. Because we see it right here. The words of Jesus, this man according to prophecy. In verse 18, the Lord says, I will put my my words in his mouth. Remember, Jesus Christ says, I and my father are one. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. You see, and when he spoke, what did they say? Crucify him. When he spoke, their heart became harder and harder and harder, ultimately ultimately leading to the call, to the cry. Crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. In verse 19, And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require of it. Uh, I will require it of him. Now, how it translates in the Hebrew, I will tread and thresh. You see, not good. The threshing floor is not good. Not good. But it is good for the 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 uh, 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 the wheat. Not good for the tares. What does the Bible say? The wheat and the tares grow together until the harvest. You see. It's good for the remnant, but it's not good for everybody else. See? It's good for the remnant. It's good for the wheat. But in order for the wheat to be wheat, the formula's got to be right. But the prophet, lowercase p here in verse 20, the prophet, lowercase p, not the uppercase p we saw in the previous verses, the lowercase p, but the prophet who presumes or assumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. You see? In both cases, it is not the Lord. And that's what happens when the priesthood, when they forget the Lord. You see? Remember, the Lord is the portion of the priesthood. Kohanim and the Levites, the Lord is the portion. Now, you remember when we started in, in verse 1, when you look at, you know, uh, uh, the, the, in verse 1, the priests, the Levites, all the tribe of Levites shall have no part or inheritance with Israel. You read that and you're like, whoa, that, that's hardcore. What is the Lord saying? I thought God was love. Yes, he's love. But now that we're just, you know, several verses deep, now we understand like why the Lord is saying this. Because the Lord is their inheritance. As is written in verse 2, the Lord is everything. You see? And when that formula is off track, when that formula is not right, it presents a whole new mess. Yes, in them, but for the people. Just like we see in churches today, 
pastors when the formula isn't right in them and they say, hey guys, let's go grave soaking. Hey guys, we're going to have a nice youth group meeting today. We're going to pray. We're going to do all these things. We're going to say our praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We're going to sing worship songs, but then we're also going to go lay in the graves. You see? And then the people do it and the Lord has become forgotten. But they think they're serving the Lord. But in so doing, they've become an abomination to the Lord. The act is an abomination, but the very people become an abomination. Why? The formula is wrong. And so now we see this in verse 20, the prophet, lowercase p, in verse 20, the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded. So the Lord's not speaking to this so-called prophet or speaks in the name of other gods. The Lord's not speaking. You see? That prophet shall die. And in both cases, it's not the Lord. And we're going to see that in the Old Testament. We're going to see people say, thus saith the Lord. Even Jeremiah, he says, he's, Jeremiah is praying to the Lord. He says, Lord, these people are saying, thus saith the Lord. And the Lord says, they're not with me. I'm paraphrasing. But I love when you see this interaction, Jeremiah with the Lord, because Jeremiah, you know, Lord, these are prophets. They're, they're saying things in, in the, the priests, the prophets. They're saying these things that, you know, thus saith the Lord. The Lord says, they're not with me. They're not with me. You see? And even today in these last days, even today in these last days, people say, God is doing this. God is moving like this. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. But the Berean knows, wait a second. The formula is wrong. You want me to go grave soaking? Nope, I'm out of here. No way. And what do you see? The spread. I mean, look at Bethel. That's, one of, that's a, a global ministry. And it is growing throughout the world. What do you see? A sign of the last days. Apostasy. Remember the four categories of last days church? False, apostate, entering apostasy, or true. Many, many fellowships are in one of the three, but very few are in the one. You see? It's not a popularity contest. In this world, people might think it's a popularity contest. But standing before the Lord, it's straight up life and death. Oh, you're so mean-spirited. How dare you speak like this? Look, you're fueled by hate. I hear that all the time. And yet the motivation is love. My beautiful friend, I don't want you to be an abomination before the Lord. I want you nice and clean before the Lord. Nice and clean and beautiful, a sweet aroma unto the Lord. But you have to be a Berean. You have to test the spirits. And you have to know what the word says. Because these are very, very perilous times. And times of sorrows, prophetically speaking. And we see this in verse 21 in closing. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which is which the Lord has not? How shall we know that? How shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? 
When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You see, and this happens a lot in the Old Testament among the prophets because the prophets are the one who are going the ones who are going against the uh, the grain so to speak they're going against the current dead fish go with the flow the prophets in the old testament major prophets minor prophets they're not it's not a popularity contest not a lot of people heed what they say but it's the same in the last days not a lot of people heed the Berean because it's not it's not popular but it is holy and it is written here when that when it is identified that this guy is false or that lady is false because you're going to see female prophetesses old testament and new testament it is written here you shall not be afraid of him. You see? And it's so beautiful because, you know, for Jeremiah, picture the fear. I mean, it's fear, but put yourself in Jeremiah's sandals. When you have priests, you have Kohanim, the Levites, you have Levites, you have the prophets, multitudes, many. You have all these people that are so-called godly people who are all about the Lord's business. And then all of a sudden, for the Lord to call Jeremiah, it's like, well, you know, look, Lord, you have these guys. Or Ezekiel's time. Lord, you know, Ezekiel says, Lord, you have these guys. These are the holy men. Can you use them, Lord? And then for the Lord to say no. Because you think these guys are holy, but they're not. You think this pastor is holy, but he wants to take you grave soaking. You think he's holy, but the act is an abomination, and those who practice it become, you know, it's self inflicted. They become an abomination through the very behavior. Oh, but God is sovereign. Look, if the Lord, if the if, if they want to go grave soaking in service of the Lord, if that's how they interpret their service unto the Lord, what are you talking about? That's not the formula. Remember, multitudes of Christs, but there's safety in only one. And in the one where there is safety, his word is above his name. You see? Which means you have to be a Berean. And when you're a Berean, be of good cheer. I mean, it's beautiful. Because the Lord sees, oh, the formula is wrong. And these people want to go grave soaking. The formula is wrong. But look at the blessings of obedience. Not carnally. It's not carnal, the blessings of the Lord. The blessings of the Lord is the fullness of joy. A joy, a peace that surpasses understanding. And I say to you, behold the handiwork of Jesus. You see? Oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. Rubbish. Rubbish. I say let the dead bury the dead. But where there is life, you won't you'll never find the Holy Spirit in graves. You'll find a different spirit, an evil spirit, 
a spirit of Satan. But you'll never find the Holy Spirit of our Lord in graves. He's not among the dead. He's among the living. You see? And we're going to end our study here and pick up, Lord willing, in chapter 19 next week. But we have to understand what the Word says. Being Bereans, growing and maturing in these last days. And to the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.